What's up, everybody? This is George Acorn, one of the hosts of the Unfair Advantage podcast. We're just getting caught up on a lot of uh, weeks planning for the Audi Club Nationals 2019 events. So I uh, took a break from producing the, the podcast, but we're back in action now. We actually have recorded several, uh, and we're going to get to those. And one of the first we're going to get to is I'm just going to publish some audio directly from the interview I did with uh, Audi Le Mans driver and the winningest driver at Le Mans ever with nine wins, uh, Tom Christensen. Guy's a legend. He's also very cool and took part in our uh, event. So I had the chance to interview him at the uh, Udvar-Hazy Smithsonian Air and Space Museum outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, it made for a pretty memorable night. So we wanted to share that and then we'll get on to our other programs here in the next few weeks. So enjoy and uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you. This feels a bit like the e- an evening at the actor's studio, so... Um, I, somebody pointed that out to me earlier, and it seems appropriate, because what I've done in my career is to try and tell not just the story of cars, but the story of characters in the world of Audi. Uh, and I don't think there's a bigger character in that world, perhaps, than Tom Christensen. And um, so, Christine, thank you for inviting me to do this. It, it, uh, it's never nerve-wracking in any way. So. <laughs> I've done Tom for a long time, though. My first Le Mans was 2005, uh, which seems like a long time ago. That's near the beginning of my career in this, or at least when we started to get uh, some notice. But 2005, Tom, that's, I mean, you were already breaking records in 2005, Jackie Yates' all-time record. So, um, well, you were just getting started. So, with that in mind, maybe we could start by, um, one, thank you for being here, but, but perhaps we could talk about your even before that, what got Tom Christensen to, uh, to racing and to the long? Good evening, everyone. I mean, it's great to be here, and thank you very much, George. Thank you, Christine. Um, and congratulations, 35 years. I can tell you it's a very long time. <laughs> <clears throat> what got me here? I mean, you, if you want me to start, I was born on a gas station. My dad drove sideways on dirty roads in a Ford Escort Mark Ones. And uh, at my, uh, what do you say, when they, they named me at the church, what are you calling that? Christening? At the christening. Uh, the picture, I have a, an open face helmet on. Uh, my dad, and my dad holds me in his hands. So, with this in mind, uh, it went wrong at the very beginning. That's <laughs> true. I mean, I'm not. Don't look at me like it's not true. But uh, that's uh, the way. And, and growing up and seeing my dad, sometimes you know, I would be with my mom, looking at one corner, and I would point out that's daddy, and she said, "Shh, shh he's last. Shut up." <laughs> Which he was actually not. I was the biggest fan of my dad. Uh, he did. He had the humble background of running the gas station, so he retired quite often. But he was, uh, to me, a heck of a driver and uh, very, very fast. Liked his determination, and uh, that certainly planted itself into me when I was uh, a child. Uh, my dad died in 2013, uh, and since then, the racing for me was not exactly the same but it, it was it was definitely him who feeded me in this kind of passion 
and determination of being part of something which was unique and understanding that to go to a racetrack you needed to prepare the car with your mechanics and your engineer and in that environment that's actually where it, it kind of all, all, all starts. So uh, I had a go-kart when I was, the I, I first time I sat in a go-kart I was uh, around seven or eight years old and I started having one when I was nine. You had to be ten. So, uh, but, but yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's how it sort of works. But the, car, the cars were very unreliable. It was a chainsaw engine and, uh, and it never ran uh, really. It was always misfiring. But that's how it started. And, and then it went on from, from there. So, go-karting, you moved to, uh, what next? Open wheel touring car? I know you've done a lot of things before we get to Le Mans. I would say um, the problem from Denmark was there was not a lot of funding uh, supporting me and, and certainly not for my family. So my dad was never there. He sometimes, when I did a card race, he would be there on Sunday, but only come after the race. Let's say if we had retired or if I had crashed, or I could see if I had had a good race, I could see he really liked that and he would be there, but I would not know. Because he was a little bit sort of ashamed that he couldn't fund my career, I feel now, looking back. But, um, but the karting was where it all started and, and, and knowing that, for example, winning local championships, the Danish championship. And one of my best races I had in karting before we went to the European and the World Championships. I finished second in the world, but before that, it was a, a race in Sweden where we had the Scandinavian championship <coughs> with a very strong, um, and there I beat um, a guy who on the picture I have, where I'm standing with Adidas shorts, so way up, uh, pulled up, which was probably very modern back then. I'm sure a few of you can remember that. And uh, I was, I had won a fire extinguisher. That was one of the prize of winning. And uh, and I, I remember my dad when I got home. He was so proud and said, "Well done, fantastic race." And thank you very much. I can use this one. <laughs> but at the same time, when I look at that picture, which is in the book here, uh, by the way, it is. I also stand with a trophy where. You, as, as a very good journalist within our sport, you will tell me, Tom, you don't have to necessarily stand with a trophy just like that. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, you learn something by doing the, uh, the, the karting years. But the guy who looked like he was falling down from a, let's say, a Finnish vodka tree was Mika Hakkinen. And he got going in F3 and eventually he won two Formula One World Championships. But by that time I had I had caught up and uh, I was doing Formula 3 in Germany, uh, signed by, the, as a, first as a third driver, but the second driver, he disappeared. I took to another team. So I got my first race within a few weeks in, uh, from Volkswagen Motorsport uh, in uh, Solda, the first Formula 3 race, and I won that race, my very first race. It was a year after Michael Schumacher had, had won the German championship. So I followed then in 1991. So at that time, and at that first race in Solda in Belgium, my team boss, uh, Bertram Schäfer, he was with me on the podium. That was sort of the new style that the team boss could join on the podium. And he said to me in German, Tom, 
do, do you can now be professional driver, I'm sure, front of And this, but, but this is not to laugh off, but that's something which, really, if that comes from him, I'm gonna go for that. So I had not only my dad, but somebody outside my family, even a German, to say to me, you can do it, man. That was very important. Germans don't get around. So from Formula Three, huh? open wheel. Do we move to touring car yet, or was there still more between that? Oh, there's more between that. We only met in 2005. There's a long way, but let me make it. <laughs> let me make it short. Uh, 91, winning Germany, and then after the season. I, could, I didn't have the funding to go the natural way, which would be Formula 3000, Formula 2, towards Formula 1. But in Denmark, I didn't have sponsors enough to do that. And, and sort of my, my fame had progressed too fast during that year. Uh, so I went to Japan. I had five fantastic years racing in Japan. And that's the fundament of my career, I'm, I'm sure. Because back then, I didn't know enough about racing. Yeah, I was pretty quick in karting, and I won that championship with this good team of Volkswagen. And they offered me a seat for the following year, and that would have been a big problem to take them. So five years in Japan, learning a lot, driving uh, with Toyota, I drove uh, Nissan, I drove Honda, I drove all kinds of things in Japan, and that was very important. Then I, I started to miss life outside of Japan. It's many years ago, it's back then when, I don't know if any one of you, you know the Betamax? tapes? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's before you had, uh, there's no mobile phones. It's not, not, still not there. It's a, so the communicating, it, it's not telex, but you remember the tail effects? Yes. Yeah, and you remember the, sort of this Xerox paper, which if you put it in the sun, it would be fading. So you have to read it, remember it, and don't put it in the sun. This is the time I was in Japan. And uh, that was great, yes. Learning, um, having difficulties with the language, and a lot of Getting the respect uh, was, uh, was, was very important. I drove everything uh, and uh, was very prepared to go back to Europe uh, when I wanted to do that, and I did then Formula 3000 in Europe. And I was leading that championship when suddenly uh, I was uh, resting shortly before Le Mans in um, 1997. And uh, I played tennis with uh, kind of my best friend, uh, but he always tend to beat, beat me up in tennis. And I was behind in the third set, and I had got a mobile phone by that time with a small antenna on. Um, it might be of an American brand, but uh, let's leave that out. But at least <laughs> I took it. And it was, uh, hello Tom, this is Ralf Jutner. Is it possible or möglich that you can drive at Le Mans for our team? It's in, yeah, it's, four days. Is that possible? No, just to be clear, you'd never raced at Le Mans. Had you ever been to Le Mans at this point? No, but I have watched the Le Mans movie and I have spent, <laughs> I had spent uh, five years in Japan and I would say Japan, apart from maybe France and even bigger attention than in America, that was the feeling I had that Japan really supported the endurance thing of motorsport and they definitely were watching uh, Le Mans. So being in Japan, I was, had done a little bit of testing with Toyota, with their TSO 10, their Group C car, but nobody really knew that so much. So that sort of also helped me, 
But when I got the offer, and uh, first I said to Ralph uh, when he called me, I said, yeah, uh, I could be interested. Of course, I was very interested, and I flew down. On, on, uh, this is Wednesday evening. On Friday morning, I go into Wald Mischelbach at um, the US premises. The team has left Fulleman. There's only Ralph and Einhold Jöst, the team boss and the secretary. And we uh, agreed quite early on making a, a deal that I should make and join Michaela Barreto and Stefan Johansson in the 1997s in the Jöst portion. She's typing something on the, on the typewriter machine. Yeah. And, um, and at the same time, she, uh, oh, they, they tell us we can go down and look a little bit at the premises. And there's a few of the cars from before. And then I hear them speak German. And over there, oh, and there was one of the mechanics who hasn't left yet. He was sweeping the floor. Jürgen, it was his name. And they say over there, there's a monocoque of which they used at the Le Mans pretest. So this is the Le Mans race, four days, or now we are only two days before the Le Mans race, or the Le Mans week. That monocoque that they used, and maybe, maybe Tom can sit in it, just to check. And then I hear they say it's a Michaela seat inside the monocoque. So it's just a little bit of the top of their test car from the, this uh, Porsche. So I sit in it and listening to that it's Michaela driving me. I'm perfect, this is perfect for me. Then I see the people there staring at me like I'm an, a young, little bit too, <laughs> too pushy uh, idiot in that sense. So Jürgen, he puts his head down and by the time he do that, I'm gonna get a little bit afraid. And I said, if, if the brake pedal could come a little bit back, then it would be really good and really perfect for me. Junger man, in unser team, der schnellste bestimmt sowas. That's German to say that, hey, little boy, in our team, the, the fastest driver decides things like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I signed the contract. I nearly leave the, the factory. Uh, and then I just go back to Ralf, not to Reinhold, because I understood Ralf who called me, he was more for we take a young guy. and looking back now and hearing what they say was that they were looking for experience and somebody who could bring a sponsor at the same time. But Ralph won that dialogue and I was happy I went back to Ralph and I said, I know I have signed to drive for you at Le Mans and we are flying down. Thank you very much. I can fly with you down to the to Le Mans. But, but on, on the Wednesday and Thursday when we have qualifying at Le Mans, I, I actually, I have a Formula 3000 test in Austria. <laughs> can we do something about that? And then they agreed I could go and test one day. So I drive in the Wednesday evening at qualifying, and then in the early morning at 5 a.m., Reinhard Jöst took his private plane and flew me down there. It cost me 17,000 German marks. And even though that it was a very good weekend I'm telling you about now, he still asked me, obviously, to pay the money, which is correct. <laughs> but it was a, a lot of investment. So in that sense, my first Le Mans, I was not paid in that sense. But I did, and did the test. I came back to Le Mans in the Thursday evening. We land when practice and qualifying already started. And, um, and I get 17 time-lapse 
that's all I get before my first start in 1997. So I'm, I'm a very focused guy on the grid, looking at the seed, which I said is perfect, you know. <clears throat> you know, you're really focused. I get my drive in the evening. The mechanics are certainly, they, they talk to me, but only exactly what's necessary. We don't have really any dialogue. The one who gives me a dialogue is, is Ralph, certainly, and Stefan Johansson, but in particular it's Mikhail Alvareto. What a wonderful man and what experience he had, and they give me to give me faith, because it's all about when we're on racetrack, when we're on Summit Point or Le Mans, it doesn't matter. But if somebody tells you what to do, it's not the right way. It is when you ask the questions, when you get pleaded in, then you're absolutely focused on what you're going to to do and going to achieve. And Michele was like that, so he sort of said, hey Tom, I followed you in Japan. Uh, which circuit do you like in Japan? Uh, which, I, I saw these races, and I, thought, I don't think he saw these races, but it gave me a lot, oh really? It gave me a lot of faith and a lot of uh, mo motivation to do well. And obviously he knew I was the weak link, being young and new to Le Mans. So I asked him at one stage, can you go around the, the track on Friday just to tell me a little bit about what you think about the gears, just to optimize what I have now done in practice. So all these things helped me a lot. But to cut it short, I have to be short, I know Jones, was I am in the evening of Saturday and I come out and now we speak about this Betamax tape and that's what I have. I have a tape of my first interview after I'd driven at Le Mans. In the evening, getting into, not, not dark yet, but the sun, as you have the sunset, and get that straight in your eyes at Le Mans, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. But doing that and having that, when you enter down through Indianapolis, getting down to Indianapolis, and you can't see a thing, that's something. And also the thing at Le Mans, that you constantly have to find your way by these cars, which is seven to nine cars at that year, these years, in average per lap, that you have to pass every lap. And you have to do it without, obviously, costing time and any traffic feels like you're costing time. So to, to play with that mentally, that sometimes you, you have to let it go to make sure you get more momentum and you pass him. So even though you lose time, that you have to tell yourself that I don't lose more time than I should have. That's a mental process which starts. And you can imagine for a young man coming out of the, the car and somebody puts uh, this huge camera with a Betamax tape in and asks, so how was the first thing? And I speak like a guy on helium. I speak like, I, I just explain those two stints uh, in, uh, in one minute and I explain everything on the two laps and I, I have it and I will not show it to anyone, but, but that, that's, that's the name of the game. I was getting better and some of the mechanics would come out of the car and it was a bit like, okay, good, get rest, alright, that's good, let's, boom. I come back at night and I get in the car around 3am and I tell you it's dark. I think it's as dark as it is at any museum if the fuse goes. And the, the lights on the car was not fantastic back then. It's not the laser light or the high beam what we have of the LED lights in the latter years with, uh, with Audi Sport, I tell you. And uh, it was pretty dark around the track back then. No floodlight or the chicanes, which some of you have seen when you have been there for a few years ago. But I know some of you have been there also back earlier. It was dark. And to get in at dark, that's really what, there's no way out. You have to get in and, and do well. 
and it's it's pretty cool to be blessed with quite a good eyesight that sort of helps the confidence because the only thing when I ask Michaela what is important here yeah you get hot tires Tom and make sure you switch them on and and that means that go out and hit the brakes late and get it going and don't try to be hesitant a little bit in the early because that's just the opposite of a win-win. As you lose the temperature, you lose performance, and at the end of the day, the night is gonna be, uh, and that's sort of the only secret there is. Be confident immediately when you start, even when you're not. <laughs> Go out and be confident, and it helps. And actually, the only thing which you hear is, um, at the end of a stint, box and stop, Tom, box and stop, nur tanken, nur sprit. Jawohl, jawohl. That means pit stop or fuel only. Pit stop, fuel only. I hear that twice. That's the only thing I have. And it's 97 and I get the lap times only from the pit crew. I don't have it on the digital, which I had with Audi all the years. You had even, you have the delta times all around the lap, so you know always where you were compared to your, your performance. There you got, you passed pit straight and you got the lap time of the lap before. That's already difficult to understand exactly the, how that lap was because I'm only looking for the next corner. But after these two pit stops, I'm in my third stint and it starts to be a little bit like you sense a little bit of, I don't know what you call it. It's not daylight yet, but at least you feel you see a little bit more than you saw before. What do you call that? That's a lot of info. Thank you very much. <laughs> more input think, than you were getting on the radio. No, but that's good. Much more. That's fantastic. But when you get that, you get a little bit, a little bit fine-tuned, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And what happened is you're going into the nice time of the Now I've got some decent lab. I have two stints, and now I'm in my third stint. That means I'm in my fifth stint, and the rhythm is coming and you see a bit more, and you get a bit braver. And suddenly on the radio, Ralph's voice, he says, Schnellste Runde, Schnellste Runde, Super, Super Tom. <sighs> you can understand what that means? <sighs> You've just been driving like... And yeah, forget about that, get on with it. And I keep going. And what happens, I have been racing 18 times at Le Mans even though we still discussed that one year I didn't get in the car uh, in 11, but I have done 18 starts. And I can count on less than, yeah, maybe three hands, but I don't, I, don't, I don't have more than that, than 15 clear laps, at least. I don't get once a year, but I get one in my first year. I get one now, and when I finish that lap, Ralph comes on the radio. Lab record, lab record. Keep it steady, keep it steady. Keep it steady now. That's even more important, to get the information that, that a German suddenly speaks to you in English. <laughs> that already means that you are, there's something now we are discussing. And that was, that was really fantastic. Shortly after he asked me, Tom, can you do another stint? Noch ein Stint, bitte. Ist das möglich? Auf diesem Reifen, on these tires. 
And I go, yeah, yeah, I was really just happy that we are discussing, we have a conversation, and the team is behind me. So I said, yeah, no problem. But immediately after, I realized, hey, am I sitting perfect? I'm using way too much energy just to where I am now. I'm, 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 actually, I'm putting the whole team on, on play here. Um, I do the four stints, and there was only four stints on the tires, which was done that year. Uh, at Le Mans, and that kept us being in the game and putting more pressure on the works Porsches, which we were competing against at that time. And uh, that was really, really something I never forget. What happened shortly after was I'm in the car again, but I have been really fighting cramps, and I learned also be honest, never say I'm sitting, it's perfect, just to get the seat, because I was really struggling in the end. But uh, the works portions were struggling even more. And I go down the Wilson straight to the first chicane. I see a lot of smoke. And the closer I get, I start to think, ah, it might be, oh, shut up, shut up. It might be. And then the next chicane, I get to it. And the works portions, mobile one, is on fire. The driver is out of the car. I can see that. So everything okay. But did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? Yes, Tom, we saw it. We saw it. We saw it. Keep it steady. Now be calm, be calm, be calm. And you're leading the 24 hours of Le Mans. It's, it's quite very impressive. I can sit here and tell it to you now. I'm really inspired by that. But I know my dad up there somewhere, he, uh, he never forget that when I, I told him that I remembered that with that little team, there was only 12 mechanics. It's one car team with Yost Racing back then. The last year I did with Audi, we were 156. Of course, we were four cars, but we were a lot more people around. Uh, but with this little team, be up and having uh, Hofbräu, the, the vice beer, and uh, some uh, sausages, um, <laughs> Bockwurst, Bockwurst, uh, Frankfurter, and eating those a little bit and see those mechanics, which I thought they were very old. They were my age at the time. But I thought they are very old and looking how dirty they were after running this car for 24 hours and winning, how proud they were. And I also got a little bit hot. So I went straight up to Jürgen, put my finger into his bag and whispered into his ear, cheers, cheers. Jürgen, is it possible next year if I can have the brake pedal a little bit back? <laughs> So I know the answer, but but uh, we all know we all know. You don't um, know Jürgen then. No, 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 not that answer. Not that answer. But we know we know the outcome of that race. Um, you walk away uh, first time out of the box. You win the race. How about Sebring? Can you tell me that's well half the time? I understand twice. Well, not maybe not twice the endurance, but just as much endurance. Yeah. You're with a different with a different team then, yeah. Shall we say who? Yeah, it's with, uh, I mean, as you know, three letters, which starts with a B, is bad. <laughs> bad. Brand B. Ah, Brand B. Bayer and Motorenberg, that's true. I went with, uh, with them and we had a, a very good successful sibling in 1999, but it was really close, we didn't have that. Uh, I absolutely love Sebring. It's a, a great track and, of course, all the manufacturers, all the teams prepare very well there. 
1999, we actually prepared a very new BMW V12 LMR in uh, Homestead. We were testing in Homestead, south of Miami. And uh, on the Sunday evening, we had we were planning uh, to go out to Seaburn on the Monday, participating in the test and preparation. Uh, the team said, uh, we're going home. <laughs> we're going home, we can't go to Seaburn. Our differentials uh, keep messing up. We are keeping running out of differentials and having issues with differentials. We are not reliable, we can't go to Seaburn. And the team was set up with, uh, with, with, with Snitsa, which was running the team, and Williams, which was building the cars, and BMW delivering the engines. So that was sort of the thing. And there was panic. So when we went to bed, we knew that tomorrow the tickets would be changed and we would go back. And uh, we as drivers, we said, no, find a solution. You have to find a solution. And Williams were pushing a lot to that, but it just means on, with board members, with the technical department, and with Williams, and uh, the next morning, just after breakfast, uh, we, um, we were told, okay, we go to Sebring anyway. And then we went to Sebring and we, we won by 12 seconds. Uh, and my, my first race there uh, against, the, at that time, the Dyson team, uh, Mark Sleitzinger, uh, James Weaver, uh, and the Riley and Scott. And that was, um, that was also uh, a race uh, to remember and also a, sort of a love from, from racing in, in America, which was started, uh, ignited in, um, uh, during that race. I never forget how I, I thought that everyone was against us. So I thought when I was driving the last stint, it was coming so much sort of sand and dirt on the track, because that's the thing with, with Sebring. It's the same like when Sterling Moss drove there, or certainly like when Jack Eakes and Mario Andretti were driving there, the track is the same. So it's bumpy as heck, and uh, it's a full of uh, full of dirt, blind corners, and a lot of spectators. It's because it's a spring break, and <laughs> I think there's a country which knows how to party. I realize that <laughs> that seems like uh, it's right here in Florida. So the people on the bridge having all those cans of beers put on on top of each other. There was uh, motorhomes everywhere, which it looks like there was really going something on. I was thinking they would drop something into me when I passed under, you know, you pass under the bridge after turn four and going into the long turn five. Every time I was sort of dogging my head and I was losing time to the Ryland Scott at that time because you don't take these chances onto the, where there was so much gravel. But nevertheless, we won and uh, I've come back to Sebring so many times later and it has been uh, uh, wonderful to, uh, to, uh, to win with the teams and front of the, the crowd there. Well, so after that, we know you, you have another victory with Brand B. We'll, we'll, we'll be on that. And, but you get a call, you're very hot at this point. You won first time out of Le Mans, first time out at Sebring. You, know, you're, 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 you get a call though from a, a, a little town in southern Germany. That's a supermarket. Right. Where you, yes. And, and actually, that's I, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Now we are actually supposed to start. This is now, uh, George was, that was his first question. But uh, his, uh, his, the other George said, ask a little bit about how you got started. So forget about the rest. Uh, now we start. In October uh, 1999, I got the call uh, or information um, that uh, I will be very welcome to pass by uh, Ingolstadt. It's a small town in Germany where, where, where they have a very hum humble race team which have made the debut at Le Mans and Sebring because in 99 I was uh, 
driving uh, very much against them and also a little bit in circles around them at Sebring, as, as, we, uh, as, as we say. And in, um, and in Le Mans, our pit garage was next to, to Audi, and, um, and that's where I met Dr. Ulrich, and we just chatted, and uh, not more than that. But at the end of the year in October, which is actually why I'm here, it's 20 years ago, so I'm celebrating, I know you're celebrating much more, but it's 20 years ago since I walked into, walked, walked into uh, the, the door at, uh, at Audi Sport, which was sort of a little bit in the back of the wonderful Audi Forum and Audi Factory. Um, it used to be a supermarket, some of it. But the team has grown from, in, of course, the great Quattro years and rally and in the Trika years. Uh, they have grown and taken part in, in sports cars now. And meeting Dr. Ulrich and meeting the engineers and mechanics because it took me for a walk after our relatively short meeting. Uh, I had in my mind already decided and he showed me a drawing, just a drawing of the Audi R8, which was coming from 2000. And uh, we made a handshake. And from then it was a gentleman agreement, straight eyes, we will, real, we, will, we will be able to make a deal. And that's the best decision I have ever, ever done in, uh, in my, uh, now I have to be careful, professional life. <laughs> so there are a lot of wins. Uh, rather than, than, than dwelling on any single one, I'm going to ask you to dwell on a few things. Um, what would you say was your hardest win uh, at Le Mans? The hardest win is always to win people's respect, and that, that no, but and that is important every year, every 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 test, and that's how it is important with the mechanics, with the engineers. I mean, in 2000, my first race with Audi, we won Sebring with Bila and Piro. Uh, we won at, at Sebring, and the year before, I tell you, the the, the first original. R8, which was built up, of course, of the Audi people. They were not going out and headhunt a lot of people. So they have worked their way up and, and see how proud they were. And I can say how lucky I was to join Audi at that time when we developed uh, over the winter uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a new car. So I would say it, that, that, that is the most important thing. But if you just take over, I've been blessed with so many races, so also disasters, also failures, but 2001, is, is very strong in my, my mind uh, for being the Michele. I, I hope I, I spoke very, very nicely about him because I have great respect for him. And without me starting with him, it might have gone completely different my first Le Mans. But the 25th of April, we lost Michele just shortly prior to Le Mans due to a free testing accident where he had a, a tire failure at Lausitz. So there was enormous, yeah, pressure, there was a lot of things we wanted to to honor Michaela and at the same time people were questioning us, what are we, why are we yeah, why are we, why are we, why are we doing it? You know, even stuff like that. That, that was tough. And then in, in, in 2001 it was raining uh, for or we were only on slick tires for 5 hours out of 24. So 19 hours the circuit was wet or damp and that was, that was tough. What was important was the FSI was coming the new Bomberetsky, the direct fuel injection, 
which was really a win-win. At Le Mans, it's good to have a good fuel economy. And that was a little bit better. But for us drivers, what was much more important was we had a lot better throttle response with the twin turbo. A um, lot less turbo lag. So you, when you put the throttle on, <coughs> the delay in the power output to the rear wheels was much easier to digest. And you can imagine when it's being in the rain, the friction in the rain, and particularly during the night, is, is, is not very enormous. So it was <laughs> you constantly part throttling and had sort of to always to predict what the throttle was going to do. And with that power, it was, it was incredibly difficult in the wet. Um, the gearbox was built to say, means 80% or more. Otherwise, you shouldn't change gear. Because it was now up in the steering wheel. My first year with the up private Porsche, right-hand drive, unsynchronized, big, heavy gearbox. And now suddenly without you, it was up in the steering wheel. And you even had, um, uh, what do you call it, assisted the steering wheel, uh, like the servo. Power steering. So that, that was all very good. But the problem was, during the night, Bila, my teammate, had, had, had uh, given the feedback to our engineer, Joe Hausner, that we had an issue, that it was really dog to dog. When he changed from third to fourth, not good sound. And then I got in the car and was told what Frank had, had told. So when you get in the car, Tom, fourth, third to fourth, 100%, only full throttle. Full throttle and chains and push. So the whole night it was raining quite hard, particularly in the morning, and you don't see a lot. And when there's there's times when the rain are coming more, it's it's not very good. I mean, at Le Mans, in, in driving in, in the wet is because of these 50 to 60 cars. It's it's constantly throwing a lot of rain up, and that sort of hangs because the trees down in Mulsanne or Genapolis or Hinandier. It's creating that it's it's just fog, and at the same time, back then there was no uh, new asphalt on. It's seventy percent of Le Mans is is normal roads, um, so there was a lot of uh, I'd say we call it grooves from the tires or ruts from 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 trucks or heavier vehicles during the year. So of course, with this standing water and with all the white, as you know, the white marks of the different put on the road is the friction on that we know is not fantastic. So driving in the night was, was pretty tough. You had to be incredibly focused of not hitting anything. Sometimes a, whoa, that was a Porsche that has been a little bit off the road coming back, things like that. So you're constantly really thinking, just looking for the real light. When you saw real light, then you knew shortly after you had to sort of move over. But you couldn't just move over by instinct because then you would hit more standing water. And I don't know, I guess it's a little bit the same like, I mean, I know it from George at least, you know, when it's heavy rain, very heavy rain, and you are going up through Virginia, you're going at uh, 160 miles an hour, <laughs> the wipers are going like that, you're going up to 180 miles an hour, nearly 200 miles an hour, and it's really heavy rain. There you are. That's when you are the most, utmost focused in your whole life because what happens, what happens suddenly, it gets very quiet and that's where human beings driving a car is most sensible ever because it goes 
then you just lift the throttle a little bit, and the steering you don't, you just feel <laughs> And you catch this aqua planning. And the aqua planning is what we all should have the most respect forever. Because aqua planning, if you're not alert, it's gonna catch you. So aqua planning, please remember, respect. And yeah, okay, one thing which helps is of course driving a quattro, which might have helped George. But, but, but at Le Mans, it was, uh, it was really something which was deep in us when you cross these rods with standing water. So um, tough it was, but in the morning we had a big lead because we had been pushing and our car, a lot of journalists or people would say, why are you pushing so much? We actually had a one lap lead at that time. But uh, remember what Bila had said, remember what the engineers had said, and we are in 2001. And I can tell you, only by us pushing, we could be in this position that the mechanics could win the race for us. And what happened when I was in the car, unfortunately, after lunchtime, so less than four hours to the end of the race, I'm just being put on slick tires, and a little bit of the time when there was some dry, so there's a bit more load on the car. And it's very easy to change when it's full. No problem. But there's more load, more energy in the car. So that I come at one point out of an arse corner. Through the gear, chains up again. Gearbox broken, gearbox broken. And Joe goes on, copy, Tom, copy, copy. Stay in the gear, stay in the gear. Don't use the gearbox. Stay in the fifth and go straight to the box. Stay in fifth gear and I lose a lot of time, I feel, driving up the pit lane, straight in the box, and the mechanics are ready, I go into the garage. So as when you're in the garage, everyone can work on the car, not outside, it's just the entitled, obviously, the, 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 the people uh, on the pit crew. So I'm out of the car, jump out very fast, go on the wall, not disturb anything. There's a big mess, everyone just grabs on the car. Noise, everyone screaming, boom, 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 but at the end of the day, you can see that it's pretty, orchestra, they know what they're doing, they have made everything ready. And what they could do, they could change. Everything behind the engine was a module. So the differential, the drive shaft, the gearbox was one module. And they are now changing that. And what it also told me was that Bila hot jumps in the car, I explained him a little bit of the situation out on the track, because we constantly had that changed. And then I focused on that and realized, oh, one of the mechanics, it's Uwe. Uwe is working on our car. And Uwe, he's the, he's the chief mechanic on the yellow car, which is at the moment running second, and trying to catch our lead. So I just watch Uwe, and I'm looking a little bit on a few other. Can... Thanks God, I don't say anything, so I just follow it. Times happens really fast, and I'm sure you probably know exactly the time, but car goes out again, they refuel it, four new tires, the car goes down, and, and it, I remember it hesitated a little bit, and then it started, and it's five minutes something, five minutes, 23, I think, five minutes, 23 seconds, don't tell that to any Audi dealer in here. <laughs> and the car leaves and drives out of the pit lane in front of uh, 12 or 14 seconds in front of the yellow car. We still have the lead. 
I'm still watching Uwe. And Uwe turns around and he goes, yeah, yeah, we have not geschafft, we have not geschafft. He's completely wild and he's just very proud. And I look at him, yeah, very good. I said, you have been driving so well and I'm the best at that. We have practiced this, we have done it so many times and every time, this is new record. We have never done it less than five and a half minutes before. It's five minutes, what is it? Five minutes, ten seconds. Yeah! It just shows that even though there's competition between the cars, because many times also journalists have, I'm not saying question that, but that energy is still a lot of respect. And when a mechanic can get the chance to show his ability, it doesn't matter which car it is. That was 2001, and I, I'm very grateful to have learned that so early in my career. And every time I try to explain it, there's always a little bit of disbelief, but honestly, that's, uh, that's one of the key, the key factors. So when I said yesterday, when we were on the track at Summit, I was a few of you here, we speak about the human element. Without Uwe in this situation, or the other Uwe's which is around in the car, um, certainly our car would not have won Le Mans. So it's a, it's a human element. It's very important to Forschbundjok technique and all the things which we have achieved in racing. It is that, that you have the respect of the fellow people. That you take the responsibility to, to say, I'm gonna do this, I'm doing this, and after I'm doing it, we can discuss it was good or bad. But in the process of doing it and feeling the responsibility, it learned me a lot, so I'm really happy that I didn't go and say, can you go away from my car and do something else and work on your... Very, very happy. It taught me a lot. Working around Audi Sport in those years, of course, I didn't start until well after that race, but the, the family element of, of Audi Sport was very evident. Um, Phil, what you mentioned earlier about the club, similarly, it, it was evident at the highest levels of Audi Sport. Can you talk to that a bit about, uh, clearly we see that with Uwe, with that car, um, but Dr. Ulrich sets, I think, a culture of that across the team, and, and it, it seemed to carry this tight-knit group throughout those years, what, whatever the car. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I cannot put it more precise than, than that, but I mean, it was a flat organization. It was also a growing organization because when I joined in 2000, I think, I think there was 140 people, 140 something people at Audi Sport. And I know when, when sort of the sports car program stopped, there was nearly 500. Of course, there was still something with the customer racing and then being divided and things. But of course, it was a growing uh, scenery. And I'm sure there's a lot of you people here know that that is a, a big uh, challenge for any organization. But it was a very flat organization. And Dr. Ulrich was at every test he could. So he was always part of that. And, and, and I think that is a very, very important thing, is of course when you have the visibility of the people who had the ability to decide. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be the boss, but it certainly has to be the person who decides with you. And I think that has been uh, Audi Sports' big, big, um, the flatter organization and that that you had the feeling that you had a say. Did you have, a, did you have something to see? Did you have uh, something to note? You will be heard if you said it. And I, I think this, the simple, I mean, there's this thing that Michel Picard, 
is a, a Swiss guy, mechanic, uh, very, very kind of shy guy. You would probably not have noticed him, but you put the picture and I can prove he's there. And I can tell you he's very important there because he has been responsible for, for gearbox and also differentials in the early days, a very, very important thing. But one year when I came to Sebring, the first race of the year, he had put a small 5P under the rear wing. So we can check even if the R8 has a 5P out here. But the 5P was on our car in the beginning. The one I drove because Michel Picard had invented that. And the 5P stands for proper preparations prevents poor performance. It's kind of simple, but it's 5P. And this is 5P. So the mechanics which worked with us during these years, of course it also went to the other cars that are at Le Mans. And there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of action, there's a thing, but you don't have always to disturb on the radio. There was just a, just a that means, oh, alert, something's gonna happen, what, 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 what? People are ready, people are, and that's very simple. So it doesn't necessarily always come from Bagdulay, but in general, all over the years, I can give examples like that, that it just means that you have the chance to show your skills, but more important is you have the chance, and you have, I would say, uh, not only have, if you have the ability, you also have the power, and you should the, uh, take responsibility. And that, 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 that I think, is, has been very important. So sometimes maybe we see a few things which might be a problem later, Instead of we say, we look away, we might get on with it a little bit earlier, even though that it's my sort of ass which is going to be spanked if I mention this. <laughs> well, I, I think we're probably coming near the end of our, our, our time, but I, if I could fast forward to, to the final, to 2015. Um, Sebring uh, came and went, and I, it was close. Uh, Le Mans comes up, um, and your dad had passed that year. Uh, 13. 13, yeah. And this is the, the, the Rari team that's out here now, yeah, 2013. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number nine. Yeah. Uh, I know when when Sebring, I, I, you approached me after the podium, and we were chatting, and, and you mentioned how hard uh, that you would hope to win that one for your dad. Then we get to Le Mans, and, and it, this is a tough race. That very early in the race, Alan Simonson had his fatal accident. This was very tough. Um, it, if I could just ask, it, it, 2013 had to be so important. I'm, I, I know this is probably a, a tough discussion to have, but how how important was that to you? I know that was. You can see the. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of individuals at Le Mans. I mean, I just speak how many people we were at Audi. Obviously, from our little group of car, and with my teammates, uh, was with, with Alan, and now it was with Loic Duval as our, uh, let's say, our third driver, as, as Capello had put up his helmet. But uh, yeah, lost, losing my dad, really, the Thursday before I'm, I'm traveling on Saturday to, to Sebring was tough. Uh, so I had to delay that and arrive very late to Sebring. Um, but it was quite... When I, when, I, when I was told about Alan Simonson in Aston Martin, I was preparing, I was about to be in, go in the race car. I was sitting on top of the pits on these uh, you know, the spinning bikes which, which are there to, to keep the pulse up and get the sweat, break the sweat to be ready to go in the car. And I had texted uh, 
Alan, and I text as his uh, his uh, his engineer and and, and and his family member, and um, they didn't know anything. Uh, they didn't get any information. And when then Steffi, uh, who is our organizational uh, girl uh, from Audi Sports, she came in, and I could already. I mean, when she opened the door, I, I really that's they, coming bad news now, and uh, she burst out in tears that. Uh, because Alan was, was really such an inspiring talent. And um, then you have to make a quite fast decision because she told me he passed away and uh, can we, should we delay? Do you want Lloyd to go in the car now and you can jump the queue? And, and I said, no, wait, 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 sit, sit down. And I just took a small table and I put three, three cups of coffee and I put Alan there and I put my dad there and I could just straight away see my dad. He said, no. Now it's about him. Now it's about him. All right? It's about him. I can just see him say that. And um, I said to Steph, no, no, don't change. You don't change anything. We have to stick with that. And just before she left, I said, please ask Eva Maria, you know, our very, very good uh, press lady, the ice queen, could you tell her I would like not to do any live interviews? And that's what I told her, and I texted Slave, uh, my, my assistant, please, uh, we get on with it. No, no live interviews, because I would not be able to say the, the tires are not really good. Uh, no. And they respected that, and there was a whole, you feel the whole Le Mans was, uh, there was, uh, I don't know what to say, there was just this atmosphere of, of sadness and respect of Ella. And we got on with the, with the race. There was a lot of local rain, uh, and that's not easy when you're coming up with, a, with 210, 220 miles an hour, and you see it's very dark at one, side, one end, and you sort of have to leave the braking a bit early because you can see that there is raining, it is a bit wet, and, and, and you just leave so much lap time away. So mentally, that's very difficult to do, and then you go through very easy through the wet and immediately after you get to the dry again you have to be very aggressive try to get some temperature back because I have figured out by that time that I might soon be back at the wet part again so uh, I'm not that stupid so that was tough that was tough but uh, that was uh, that was a win from uh, also I have to remember that Alan uh, myself and Dindo we, we have had Two close calls in 11, we were leading. I didn't get in the car. It was an enormous crash, uh, very after one hour into the race. In 2012, we were leading uh, close to an hour, an hour and a half before the finish, where we, our car also had a coming together with a Ferrari, and we had lost the lead, but we still finished uh, second. Um, so in 13, to uh, hey, to win, uh, was very, very, uh, very important to do that for, for Mr. Simonson, uh, for me personally, but uh, for the whole team, it was uh, very important also for us as we were. And that's the thing in life. We were not the young ones anymore. That was 97. Now we were the old bastards, which the, everyone would like to, which everyone would like to, to beat. So it was, it was very nice for us. And also winning the world championship that year was, was very, very good. And, uh, I was also there, I got the call from Mr. Magnish, which he would like to say that uh, he had driven his last race. And that was a surprise to get that for him, and also a little bit of an eye-opener for myself. 
So uh, I did 14. I tried to get my personally 10th victory, but now driving with uh, Lucas de Grasse from uh, Brazil and, and Loic Duval. Loic Duval had that enormous crash on the Wednesday in 14, which means that he was out and sent back home. And thanks God he survived that because I have pictures of that and I don't want to show you. That's, that's a heavy one. And we got Mark Jenner in, and, on, and he just drove the practice on Thursday. And hey, there we go, Sunday at noon. I thought, this is, this is unbelievable. Uh, we were leading, I was leading. I was about to win Le Mans for the 10th time, personally. When, thanks God, that you realize that it shouldn't be like that. And very, very seldom, I would say, hardly never, you have an issue with an engine. But uh, I come out of the pit after the pit stop, two hours to the end. <laughs> and when you lose a turbo, and you only have one turbo, it, uh, it makes a difference. But the mechanics again changed the turbo in two minutes. We lost the lead, we got down to third, and we pushed like heck to go back, and we won second place uh, uh, in 14. And then that summer, due to all the circumstances I've been talking to you here, I said to Dovdule, if he could speak with me, I would love to say that's it, even though I had contract for you, but I would love to stay with the brand because what I have learned during so many years of being with, uh, with this team, the History Heritage, I would love to be with uh, Audi forever. And uh, that was sort of what we agreed after two weeks of, of first he didn't believe me, and disbelief, but then we had a few more meetings and he uh, dwelled about it and he said it's a good idea. And uh, when I had taken the decision, I told my wife, and uh, I had to wait for her a little bit because she was down um, picking up some groceries, and she came in with two handbags of things, and I said, Hannah, can you put this down? I have something to tell you. What? What? And it went down, and I said, uh, my last race will be uh, in uh, three weeks in Brazil. I will do my last race. And, uh, and I could see that she was very, very happy. And she said, that's the best decision I've ever done was what she said but that's sort of the story of me being a driver and me until the end and today i can say like many people ask me don't you miss it and they really look into me and i say yes of course i miss it i miss it a lot but i'm also very very privileged uh, that i have lived so many years of i know that i'm i'm not stupid so if somebody's sometimes say do you want to have a la few laps no 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 thank you i say thank you i don't I don't go on the track anymore. As you no, saw. not at all. You can say an RS6 at some point. <laughs> Maybe not. No. No. Exactly like that, but not a, not a, not a race. But what I did the other day was, uh, yeah, Tristan and, uh, and uh, Audi from John, they, uh, they were brave enough to let me out at some point in an Audi RS6 from 2005. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Tom. You're 11, sir, and it's, it's a pleasure to, to know you and to be able to be privileged enough to sit up here and interview you, so thank you. Um, we have one last thing before we leave the stage. We wanted to share something. Paul Truis, if you could come up. Um, Tom had something he wanted to share. That's true. Yeah, Paul, I'll, I will just give you this a little bit, a book of my four. Maybe, maybe you can open it. I, I, I've written a little bit here. It says, um, to all my dear friends at Audi Club North America, that's you, uh, hope you'll enjoy a few moments of my four, cuatro, that's funny, 
decades of trying very hard. And uh, that's a self-portrait. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to meet you. Thank you, Tom.